Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Hey, everyone. Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, joined today by Henry Washington, Kathy Fecky, and James Daynard. How are you all? Great. What's up? I'm doing good. How are you? I miss you guys. I feel like it's been a while since we all uh, were on a show together. Yeah, it's been way too long. Don't let it happen again. Yeah, you should fly out this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> to me? No big deal. Just, <laughs> no big deal. Just a flight from Amsterdam. Just a casual 30-hour round trip to yeah. uh, <laughs> to go to Jamil's party, but it does sound very fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we are going to do a really fun episode where we're going to talk about our biggest mistakes for 2022. I don't know about you all, but when I read a lot of investing news or hear about a lot of uh, investing content, it glorifies a lot of the stuff that goes right and omits a lot of the stuff that goes wrong. But I think it's really important for investors anywhere to acknowledge that things do go wrong. And and today we're going to share what we did wrong in 2022 and what we learned from it. You guys ready for this? I am ready. Yeah. All right, great. Well, we're going to start actually in the first section here. We're going to just start not about your specific business, but let's just talk about mistakes that happened in the news for 2022. Like what was a big whiff from this past year? It could be anything, some business, some economic thing. Kathy, let's start with you. What do you think the biggest uh, biggest mistake that happened across the news or economic spectrum in 2022? 
There are so many, but I'll just focus on one. (laughs) Uh, You know, it was really interesting. I was lucky enough to have Rosie Rios stay at my house, the 43rd treasurer of the U.S., Uh, and she was here on November 11th. I remember that because 11-11, great day. And um, that was just a couple days after FTX fell apart. Right. And I didn't really know much about it, but I had the former U.S. Treasury of the U.S. at my house. So she we were just talking, having dinner. And and she said, uh, do you know, the biggest story right now. And I'm like, uh, what, uh, Twitter? I don't know. What is it? She goes, no, well, yes, but uh, but FTX. And again, I didn't know what that was, but she was literally with CZ, who is uh, the founder of Binance, which was the competitor of FTX and the one who kind of basically pulled the card that had the house of cards fall because they pulled their money out. Um, so I heard the story before it was a story on in the news and learned a lot about it from the inside because she had just come from Portugal for the crypto conference that was there and was with all of these people right before the collapse. So fascinating, fascinating. Uh, the, the amazingness of this story is oh my gosh, I just want to see the Netflix version. You know, it's like (laughs) so much corruption. Anybody who still believes that there isn't corruption within the government and within government agencies and and oversight committees, just please study this story because it goes deep. It goes really deep where, uh, you know, the people that FTX, the the politicians that FTX was funding were also in charge of oversight of crypto. I mean, come on, guys. So it's still happening with Maxine Waters being one of the, um, you know, one of the politicians who received donations from FTX and is still now on the House Financial Services Committee that will be overseeing the hearings for this. It's just, wow. Uh, But if you were uh, it's unbelievable. So, um, yeah, that, just just know that there's big companies that fund politicians who also those politicians oversee the oversight of those companies. It happens all the time. So you've just really got to look deeper. Um, it's why I love real estate. It's just so simple. It's just you buy a property and there's just you know, not a whole lot of complication. Obviously, there's regulation in our industry. But you know, it real estate investors just want to generally stay out of that web uh, and kind of be doing their own thing. It just brings me back to why I love real estate. Not to say you cannot, you you know, you can lose your money in real estate too. Um, If you're an equity investor, uh, you, you have the most risk, right? If if you if you have to sell your property, if you hold your property and it cash flows, asset values just don't matter um, with real estate, obviously. But uh, if you're flipping, and we all know this, or you're you know building houses like we are, and you're an equity investor and you have to sell at a certain time, well, yeah, you can certainly lose your equity. But at least you know that there wasn't all this hanky panky going on. I mean, it's just like. You guys, I just can't believe it. And I'm not against crypto. This is this is not a story uh, about Bitcoin. And I, I do want to say Bitcoin is, is, in my opinion, it's an investment in, uh, in, a, in a coin, a real, it's not real, it's crypto still, but it's been mined and it's protected. But this was trading. This was just trading and they were market makers. I know a lot of real estate investors that do this too, but this was really big where FTX was, uh, had, you know, he created another company that his girlfriend ran, um, Alameda Research. And 
basically they would trade back and forth this coin that they created. And every time Alameda Research and FTX traded it back and forth, they would raise the price. And then, of course, investors were like, oh, my gosh, this must be a value uh, when they were just making the market, right? I've seen investors do that where they'll go into a market, buy a few properties with cash to set, you know, some kind of, right, appraisal value there. Um, so it happens in every industry and you got to be careful about that. But it's fascinating that so many big firms didn't see it. Jim Cramer saying that Sam Bankman-Fried was going to be the new JP Morgan, even though Sam Bankman-Fried didn't find <laughs> anything, you know, didn't create anything, you know, except a fake crypto. So anyway, uh, it's amazing that, and again, if you look, FTX, I, I believe, was financing Jim Cramer's show. Uh, so always look at who the sponsors are. <laughs> Just be aware. Um, and, and then other huge firms like SoftBank and BlackRock investing in FTX when it turns out now that they're looking at the books, that they didn't have books, they didn't know who their employees were, they would just send emojis when someone sent in uh, money that they wanted reimbursement, they didn't have receipts, it would just be, yeah. So the fact that these big, major, major companies invested, it just seems like a complete shell company when you look at it, like, Okay, was it just for donations to political endeavors? I, I, I don't know. All I know is that uh, I hope that there is oversight as a result of this and that people are really uh, start to look into what they're investing in a little bit deeper. Yeah, I, th <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, the, the really remarkable thing here is that Sam Bankman-Fried was sort of billed as the virtuous person in in crypto and that he was altruistic when really it was just a glorified not a ponzi scheme but it was just a, a glorified scam it was just a, definitely a, a fraud a ponzi scheme. um yeah. yeah um so yeah it's pretty remarkable and if you want a good follow on instagram or twitter look at the inverse jim kramer etf it's basically a etf where they take the opposite of what jim kramer says and it outperforms jim kramer just like way more it's very very funny i love that there's an actual etf meant to mock someone I don't think they've actually like created it, but like someone <laughs> tracks the stocks and just like does the opposite. And, please, like, please actually make this an ETF we can buy and trade. It's so funny. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah, and when you have a company in the Bahamas, you know, I, and again, like you said, he was this altruistic guy, supposedly. And um, and yet there he was living in a $30 million mansion in the Bahamas. They were having... Uh, lots of they were apparently on lots of drugs and lots of I don't know they were like a polyamorous group um, and, and not that that matters hey whatever, whatever makes you happy man but uh, it's just so funny that they were living a very wealthy lifestyle uh, wild and you know I guess what some people might dream of a rock star lifestyle when the the world saw them as kind of hippies that were just doing good things for the world and giving all their money away yeah that's a little ridiculous well. That was a big, big issue. We'll see what happens with crypto. I'm, I'm no expert here, but I do think, per your point, Kathy, that it's likely that we see institutional investors uh, back away from crypto for a bit. You know, I feel like they were just starting to get comfortable. And now you see that there really is, without regulation, without predictability, without accountability, uh, pretty, uh, pretty risky asset class, even riskier than we all thought it was, which was already pretty risky. All right, Henry, what's your big uh, big mistake from 2022 in the news? 
Yeah, man, I feel like every new year since 2020, the the new year is like, oh, is that what you did 2021? All right, hold my beer. Because <laughs> so, <laughs> it's been crazy. There's been a lot of crazy stuff that happened. And um, I mean, I mean, first of all, uh, I think I think Putin got a little more than he bargained for with that war in Ukraine. Uh, I don't think that that's going as smoothly or easily as he thought. So, you know, uh, call that a mistake, whatever you want. But, uh, you know, I don't think anybody really expected uh, the results that are happening from that. You look at crypto to kind of piggyback on what Kathy said. It, it, you talk about FTX, but it, the crypto crash in general, right? It's It's happening across the board. And I think a lot of people are learning a lot of lessons about, um, about how to make smarter investments. This and me, especially I have a crypto portfolio. I still have one. Right. But I have since consolidated my investments down to, you know, the two coins that I think are, are really going to matter in the future. And that's, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum. But I was on the bandwagon of buying all these different coins for all these different super cool technologies that I got, that I thought were going to be a thing. And when you look, when you look at history, like the dot-com boom, right? If you looked at the dot-com boom, there was all these different types of dot-com companies that people were all high on. And at the end of the day, it all came down to like two or three, right? And everything else kind of fell to the wayside. And this seems very similar. So, so you're, not buying, you're not buying the dip on FTT right now? No, no I am definitely, definitely <laughs> not buying the dip on FTT. <laughs> I'm, I am staying far, far away. Um, uh, but I am still in, right? I don't want to mislead anybody here. I am still in uh, investing in crypto. I'm just just trying to be a little smarter about it, right? Uh, the other thing uh, is both hedge funds and uh, iBuyers realizing that they overpaid for lots of properties and they're getting their butts handed to them right now as the market is shifting. And you're seeing iBuyers get out of the business or go under and you're seeing uh, hedge funds dumping properties that they bought recently. Right. And so uh, I think obviously they realize they've made a huge mistake in the price points they were willing to buy homes at and huge mistakes in uh, foregoing a lot of the inspections and uh, repairs uh, that now these properties need in order for them to actually get the value that they want out of them and they can't afford to do them or sell them where they want to. So, uh, you know, big mistakes on all fronts. All right. Those are good ones. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out through a dip. Uh, if those companies survive James, other than, uh, dropping your computer on the floor last night, what, what, uh, <laughs> what mistakes did you see, uh, generally in 2022? And just so people know, James is having some computer issues today. So if he sounds like a robot, uh, don't blame him. He's just, uh, all technical issues. I'm just like Shrek when it comes to technology. I just break and drop things, but it's, <laughs> uh, I, I was going to bring what Kathy talked about because obviously that's been the biggest meltdown we've seen. I mean, it was kind of like this thing that happened that we kind of thought it was just like in the back of my mind. I like something really bad is going to happen with it, with, with the crypto and with how accelerated and how much uh, growth it had. But I think the biggest thing, the biggest story of the year, at least for me, is or the thing I missed the most is we knew inflation was going at a rapid pace. We knew our economy was out of control. 
and at the beginning of the year, they were saying they were going to do minimal rate hikes and it could be a soft landing. And we all, I all bought, or at least I bought into that Kool-Aid for sure. And um, I guess I'll talk about that a little bit more uh, it, later in the show. But that that was the biggest miss of the financial year because it, the rates have increased the fastest we've ever seen. And it is causing mass issues in all sectors of our economy, with, with whether it's credit card debt, uh, housing, and just cost of money in general. But it, I, I, if that was definitely the biggest. I think it's having global impact across everything, and it's going to start causing things like this FTX to kind of be exposed. And we're going to see some more. We're going to see some more um, ghosts in the closet coming up because of all this. But um, you know, I think common sense should have dictated that we should have anticipated rate hikes a lot quicker and a lot faster. But we never thought that they were going to go up at the fastest they've ever been. And it is definitely breaking some things. So I think for me, that was the biggest, the biggest miss I had of the year was was drinking that Kool Aid, thinking that it was just going to keep riding out for another twelve to eighteen months. When everything, you know, we had hit this peak pricing, everything logically was saying that something's going to stop, and then the rates, uh, they 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 did to the rates what they needed to do to start slowing things down. Totally. I, I agree. I and mean, well, actually, the, the news or policy uh, mistake I was going to say is that the Fed continued buying mortgage-backed securities into September of this year for some inexplicable reason, even though they were raising interest rates and inflation was over 9% in June. So, uh, yeah, I think there are some uh, interesting monetary policy decisions, uh, often contradictory monetary policy policy decisions that, that happened this year. But um, okay, so so those are some of the, sort of the broader things that we saw. Um, I'll also say I, I made a big mistake uh, casting Jamil on this show because he wasn't even didn't even have the guts to come on here to uh, oh. talk about the mistakes that he made. Shots so. fired. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Jamil's actually been very open and honest about some of his mistakes this year. If you haven't listened to some of the stuff over the summer, he, he's great about that. I'm just have to get a shot in because he couldn't make it today. Uh, but with that, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into the specific mistakes or regrets that you have in your own investing decisions from 2022. We'll be right back. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. All right, Henry, let's start with you. What was one of your biggest mistakes in 2022 related to your personal investing portfolio? Yeah, uh, good. Glad you started with me because I'm not going to talk about something super broad. I'm going to talk about something that's probably all happened to us regardless of market and economic conditions. And that is I bought a property. Um, Luckily, it's a buy and hold. Uh, It's a duplex. And I uh, got very excited about the purchase price point and underestimated the amount of renovation that that property was going to need and when I was going to have to spend it. So we had tenants in it. The tenants were paying uh, okay rents and the plan was to keep them. Um, And then we would make minor modifications as they moved out and they moved out immediately. And what we thought were going to be minor modifications ended up being, uh, I don't know, we've probably spent I think we planned on spending like 15 grand and we've probably spent closer to 70. Whoa. And what was uh, it? What were the, what were the mods that you missed? Uh, so we had to completely replace the stairs cause it's a duplex, but it's an up down. So you got stairs to the top unit. Um, they were in worse shape than, than what we remembered. And maybe that's cause they did more damage after we bought it. Not surely sure. So we had to completely replace those. Um, and you know, lumber, and labor both uh this year weren't always at great prices um we uh we ended up completely remodeling the inside of both units it was just it was 
I made a lot of rookie investor mistakes by not properly estimating the renovation, not properly estimating the timeline. And then I picked bad. I, I didn't pick great contractors. I'm on my third contractor with this property. Wow. It's been a year and we haven't had anybody living in it. Wow. I mean, it's just costing me money. Hand over hand over fist right now. Three three contractors in. Uh, one of the contractors we had. It's just we're 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 still redoing some of the work that was done from the first contractor. We were ready to almost get this thing listed, and then we started testing the water, and then we had a big leak from the top unit down into the bottom unit. So then we had to tear up floors and tear up drywall, fix plumbing issues, redo the shower. It's like it's just one thing after another. It feels like we keep starting over. So. Um, Lots of rookie mistakes. So, but the the big the mistake isn't that I bought it because if I had to do it again, I would still buy it. Uh, I would have just paid a whole lot closer attention to what the actual true rehab cost was going to be and planned for that rehab on the front side. I I didn't anticipate it being on the front side. I anticipated small rehab repairs down the road, and then it hit me in the face on the front side. And so, I uh, that was that was definitely my biggest flub from a property perspective this year. So. How, well, first of all, sorry, that sucks. <laughs> that does not sound like a fun experience, but uh, how, what did you learn from it? Yeah. So I learned that um, the fundamentals matter, no matter how experienced you are. Right. Uh, I think as the, the more deals that you do, the more comfortable you're going to get. Right. And so you're going to walk into properties and it's easier to overlook things when you're comfortable. Because you feel like you understand a lot of the nuances of the business. And um, and so I've, I've got to stick to the process of properly evaluating every property on the front side and anticipating the repairs if they happen on day one. Right. And does it still make sense to buy this deal if I have to make these repairs on day one versus when tenants move out? Um, and then uh I mean, the other lesson I learned is that I've I've got to be more diligent in vetting contractors on the front side. Um, I just wanted to get somebody in here quick to get it done. I didn't properly vet uh, everyone that got in there to do the work. And um, it cost me on the backside because now I'm fixing problems that should have been fixed months ago that we didn't even know were problems. Um, but I know that. Uh, had I selected the right contractor, paid a little more for the right contractor, we probably wouldn't be sitting in this place. What'd they say? If you think, if you think, uh, if you think, uh, it's like, if you think $150 an hour plumber is expensive, try $15 an hour. Well, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I, you know, I went with a contractor that had decent rates. Uh, and if I went with one that, uh, was more expensive, maybe I wouldn't be in this boat, but you know, I've had horror stories of contractors that were expensive too. It's just more about like vetting them as a company and vetting them uh, on their quality of work. That that's a really common question about how to vet contractors. Do you, in retrospect, do you is there any red flags that came up that you feel like you should have seen coming, or do you have any tips for anyone listening to this about how they can really do a good job vetting? potential contractors. Yeah. So I think my biggest mistake here was, so the contractor I hired when I did vet them, most of the work that they were doing for me was, uh, paint work and finish work. And the problem that I ended up having with the work that they were doing wasn't on the paintwork and the finish work. It was on the plumbing. Right. So I, I, I just made some assumptions that because the work that they were doing in some of these other trades was good, 
that they were also doing a decent job at some of the plumbing work and electrical work that they were doing. And, uh, you know, it, this is the second property I've had plumbing issues on from the work from this contractor. So, you know, I, it's, it's about like, not only do you need to vet your contractors, but every trade is different. So if it's a general contractor, you need to know who they're subbing their work out to. You need to know, uh, you know, if they're qualified to do those kinds of things, because plumbing seems to be the hang up with this contractor, even though everything else seemed fine. So I made some general assumptions based on the work that I did see uh, about new work that they were doing. And it turned out to bite me in the butt. So uh, it, the general tip would be like, you have to have a scope of work, right? And then you have to get into the details about like how that scope of work is going to be handled across each trade. Cause I did vet their finish work and I did vet their paint work and it was very good. Um, but I didn't look into what kinds of plumbing jobs they'd done in the past and, uh, what kinds of success they'd had talked to any other customers who had used them to do different types of plumbing work. And, uh, I bet had I done that, I would have found a similar issue. All right. Well, sorry to hear you had to go through that experience, but thank you for still going. It is not done or rented out. <laughs> so we are currently, currently getting my butt kicked. <laughs> Let's hopefully this isn't on your 20, <laughs> 2023 list of mistakes. Also <laughs> currently getting my butt kicked. I'm um, sorry to hear that. That's just what happens. Sometimes you get the domino effect going through your project where, you know, it doesn't matter how many projects you do. I mean, I really loved what Henry said with, with staying disciplined going forward. Like, just staying on your systems because once you break your system, cause you're just trying to get things done and try to get someone out, you, you can end up just bringing in the wrong person and it domino effects and the project just never goes away. It's like, it's that you cannot get it to the finish line. I mean, we've all had these, I, I, I probably have a handful of them going right now. We're just like, <laughs> I want you to go away. Like, I just want to get rid of this house. And it just, you're just stuck at the one yard line. Ugh, man. Every time the phone rings and my contractor's like, Hey, let's talk about, uh, Let's talk about, you know, such and such property. I'm like, oh, I don't. <laughs> I just, I'd like, just do it. Whatever you're about to say, just fix it. It's, it just <laughs> fix it. Something is broken. It needs, just fix. Don't even tell me, just fix it. I think anyone who's ever owned any real estate ever has gone through this. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why the property managers that we work with and, and that we refer people to have in-house people that they rely on and trust and have worked with for years instead of contracting out. It's just, it's so hard to know who you're going to get, but yeah, I would love that. That could be a whole show that I think James could, could host, right? Um, I've been ripped off for millions of dollars over the years. Like just, it, it's just part, it, it's, it's part of the game. It's a, you are going to run into bad characters, bad actors in the market and you just got to, but putting the right paperwork together, it's really, really important. We once, I once hired a fake, contractors <laughs> you hired ftx contractors <laughs> <laughs> you paid him with ftt fake id a fake business fake referrals and, and uh and then we were referred him from one of our clients and so it just and then all of a sudden like i i had my job site we, were, we had permits on the job they were fake permits and you oh get shut down l and i shut this down and then we start digging into it and the L and I guys like, this guy's not even a real person. And it like, it, it just, and then he disappeared. It was like a two, it like quarter or $250,000 loss for ourselves. Some of our like people we knew, like the guy just left like in the middle of six, six projects. 
It almost seems like it would be more work to be a fake contractor than to be an actual <laughs> contractor. But but we had the right paperwork in line. You know, we had our construction contracts, and and even though it was fake, uh, we ended up being able to get a judgment. Now I haven't got paid anything from it, but I have a big judgment on this guy to where if he ever does get a real job, I can get some of my money back, or you know maybe negotiate it later. But it's you know putting the right vetting them and putting them under the right paperwork and, and contracts is huge you you have to do it in today's market especially today's climate with everybody starting up construction businesses everywhere kathy makes kathy makes a great point yes this has happened to everyone that's the the reason i wanted to bring it up is because it has happened and it will happen to you right if you're in the <laughs> business like it so you've got to remember like you have to remember to stay disciplined you have to remember that your processes and procedures are there for a reason and you can't get comfortable when you get comfortable you get kicked in the butt. And like we we've all been there in some aspect in real estate. And so I just want people to remember that you have to stay disciplined, not just to your numbers, but to your process. And just be and like this contractor that 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 uh, as, that I'm having the problem, plumbing problems from. They're great. Like, I love them. They're great people. Like, just because you like them doesn't mean that the work is going to be done right. Like, so you truly have to vet the work that somebody has done in the past or the work that they've done for you, right? To know whether you want to use them again, regardless of if you like them or how they handle business, because just because they handle business well, and just because you like them doesn't mean they're going to do a good job. And if you're like me, and you have no clue how to vet any work that any contractors done, I mean, how, how would I know? Um, you know, you can you can bring someone else in, you know, you could bring an inspector in just to just to check it out. Or there's there's companies that actually do that called builder control companies that can, you know, you have to pay that extra money. But if you just don't know, because you're not a contractor, and I wouldn't have a clue on how to vet any contractor than, uh, you know, bring in someone who does. I mean, it sucks when it happens, but if there weren't contractors, what would real estate investors even talk about? We would have right. nothing to complain <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing to even do. The Fed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Fed the Fed, and, and, and bad contractors keep us all in a job. So we appreciate it. <laughs> Well, James, let's move over to you. I mean, I, I know in Seattle, you've been facing some difficult market conditions up there. Yeah. What What was the biggest uh, regret or mistake in your personal investing in 2022? Uh, well, I think on a concept basis, the biggest mis re regret I had was just, you know, buying when, like Henry was talking about, not being disciplined. We were out buying projects before we could even get going on them because we just wanted to get it locked down and done. And they'd sit there for a month or two to sometime before we could get our guys ready to go. And that's just a mistake. And, you know, housing for us is inventory, right? We're bringing it in. We want to get it back out the door in that sector of the business that we did. And it was just, you know, once you start doing that, it breaks bad habits. You start going over costs. Um you know, you have to run this like a business. And, and I think that was the biggest mistake I made as far as the concept goes. So the worst thing I bought, though, was this is a bad one. It was uh, so we just lost three hundred eighty grand on a house on one house. On one, and this would talk about the house that would not go away. Henry, you could have bought three houses for that. I was, I was going to say that's like seven houses. Worth. <laughs> I'm sure he feels a lot better. guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <Supportive. James. laughs> This is this and this is again like when we were just talking about how contractors can rip you off, bad things happen. This just happens on real estate, right? Like anytime I always say, like, if I'm buying ten properties and I lose money on one of those, the ten percent of those, 
I'm doing a pretty good job as an investor, actually, like that you have to expect this because th- everything can go wrong. So we, we bought this property. It was on a hillside, killer location, killer views, uh, start demoing it. And, and our, our, the biggest mistake we made is myself and my partner didn't walk this property. One of our contractor guys did or our, our project managers did. If you, as soon as I walked inside the day we bought it, I was like, oh, no, this thing's cr-. it was uh, really, no. really crooked. And so. We get full permits. We uh, end up jacking the house up on the foundation, and then it, it what happened is we the we didn't realize, but in the hillside they had brought in so much fill dirt, it just caved in, and basically the, the the foundation basically gave way. City red tagged us again, and this is after permitting and waiting. We were 17 months into this project by the time we had just got there, because the permits alone. You know, when you're buying on, and this is, I think, something that all people should know is when you're buying an env- environmental critical area locations, you have to be careful. And not only that, you need to anticipate for some serious debt costs because permits are really long on these. You know, you can wait three times as long for these kind of permits as a regular permit. So we waited uh, about 12 months to get our permits. We spent $120,000 jacking this house up, reciting the whole thing, all the windows. And then it gives way, and then they kick us back in, and they in the city because we're in an environmental critical area. They want more engineering, more piles. They want to go back in for review, and it's going to take another nine months. Wow! And at that point, we go well, forget it. We scrapped the house, and then we permitted in a brand new house. But so we still had to wait the nine months. But but we kind of looked at the map on it. And we're like, well, this isn't going to work no matter what. And so we we exited the project to build new. Um, and we got right to the, the home stretch and, you know, values were doing really well. Uh, it was definitely worth in the, in the spring, like a 3 million, 3.1 million. And then the fed started stepping on the gas for rates. And, you know, as we, we know the market has came back 10%. And so when you're, when you are flipping, you know, the rates have gone up, we're down 10 to 15%. So when you're, when you're buying higher end properties, it's awesome when it's awesome. Like, because you, if, if the market, if you're appreciating rapidly, you're getting really big hits on the way out the door, or really big pumps when you're ready to sell. But when the market's doing the opposite, you get really big clips. And and what happened is, you know, like we lost fifteen percent off that property, and so it went from being a three million dollar property down to a two point five million dollar house fairly quickly in a ninety to one hundred twenty day range. And so when you lose 600K in value, I kept the project for over 36 months. We we rehabbed it, tore it down, and then built new. It was just all ending bad. And, it, you know, it's amazing that we only lost 380 grand to be perfectly – like, it should have been a $700,000 loss. Like, if the market didn't mm. pump up. It's, uh, it sounds like you're about to sell it for lot value. Wait, no, I don't even think I could give this lot away. What, that's the other thing we, I, I definitely learned. Do not – you know, we've built on all sorts of different things, flats, corner lots, hillsides. When you got hills like this, it is not, it, when you're that steep of the hillside, it's just not worth building. Like, I, someone couldn't give me a free lot on a hill. I, I, I won't touch it. It's just, it, it requires so much more cost, so much more time, and so much more energy. It's, it's never worth buying on a hillside, at least in Washington. So were you saying, like, if the market hadn't reversed course at a bad time, would you have walked away pretty much even? Yes, if we if we would have got it to the peak of the peak in the spring, we probably would have made like eighty grand. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> I mean, we had like nine hundred. We had almost a million dollars in this project. Talk about the worst 
our dead time on our money for three years, a million bucks, we made nothing. We end up losing money on the way. It's just the, but that is the way it goes. Like you, you can't. We also hit a lot of home runs, and you know, the, one of the things I learned in two thousand eight is when you hit your or two thousand six, seven, and eight, when you're doing well, you need to put away your your money. You have to be running with a solid reserve because at some point, the the songs it just stops. And when it stops, it goes back the other way. And there's always going to be this little painful period that you got to deal with. And so luckily we learned that in 2008 and we have great reserves set aside and we got to pay the bill. And at least we got a million bucks back that we could go then deploy and buy more deals with. And, and then, you know, we got to make it back up. So, well, I appreciate your, I, I do really appreciate your attitude about it. I think in any business, real estate is no different from any other entrepreneurial pursuit where you, you take some losses, you make bad hires, you make bad investments, things go sideways. That's just part of being an entrepreneur. And, uh, it sucks when it happens, but you have to sort of embrace that risk is a two sided coin, right? You know, you don't get a return without taking on some risk. And so that means you're not going to hit everyone out of the park, but most of the time, if you're doing things right, you are uh, averaging way more uh, than than you would if you weren't taking on those risks. But James, I wanted to ask, you know, you said that one thing you regret and what you attribute one of the causes is that you or your partner didn't walk the property and you let a contractor do it. Have you uh, have you continued with that practice or are you walking every deal now? Um, no, I still buy things sight unseen, um, but this one was, I'm not a, we buy lots of properties at auction. I, I mean... I, I don't mind rolling the dice a little bit on that, but what I won't do is buy homes sight unseen on, with with conditions on there. If if there's an ECA rating, environmental critical area, I'm not messing with it. It's just not because that that that's way too big of a ro uh, roll of the dice. And then if it's also on a big hillside, not gonna mess with it. Yeah, there's there's certain things. There's a really good property I can get right now in one of the best neighborhoods, best street in all of Seattle. And I can't get inside, though, because it comes with a tenant that I'd, they want me to get rid of at that or, you know, get, facilitate. The, it's a squatter tenant where basically wait the seven, eight months to get them out of the property. And then they also I can't get inside. This one has an ECA rating. And I, so I won't do the deal. I'm like, if I can't get inside and look what's going on in the foundation, I'm just not doing it. Um, and so, but other than that, I will still buy silencing. I mean, some of the homes we buy are so packed full of garbage. You really can't see anything anyways. <laughs> and so it's just, uh, but I, I, I stay clear from a couple, like the, the roll of the dice is like, you just, I, I don't want to mess. Like there's certain things I just won't like roll dice on, which is environmental critical areas and hills. Nice. That's great. I mean, just another example of knowing your buy box really well. Um, and, and I know James has a very broad buy box, but it, you know, it's just important to know that there's certain things you're not willing to do. And it sounds like you've learned that from uh, some tough lessons, unfortunately. And I'm shrinking my buy box right now, right? Like as the market gets a little scarier as it, you know, it, as it transition, if, if you know what you're buying, it's a lot easier to get in and out of the market. So stick to what you're good at. And you can navigate any market. Great advice. All right, Kathy, what about you? What's your biggest uh, investing mistake of, of the year? It's a perfect segue. Um, stick with what you know and, and stay within a tight uh, buy box. Uh, I would say 
the biggest mistake is that I knew that interest rates were going to go up and I still didn't refi all my properties when they when interest rates were at record lows. And I'm just so embarrassed to even say it out loud. And in addition to that, like, why didn't I buy more? You know, I, I know that it was the top of the market, but in the markets I'm in, it, it's still fine. You know, those prices haven't gone down. So, you know, early in January, when I knew that the Fed, the Fed was warning, you know, they're going to do seven rate hikes, it was very obvious what was going to happen. And uh, that would have just been a really good time to get busy, right? And just to to buy some really good deals, lock in those low rates, refi everything. We, we did refi a few, but not everything. And uh, we're not going to see those two, 3% rates again. <laughs> I mean, so... Um, and I didn't know rates were going to go up quite as dramatically, which I have said live on the show that I didn't think they were going to go up as as dramatically as they did. And I do think they're going to come back down, but not to that amazing opportunity that we had to lock in two and three percent rates. I mean, wow. So that's a regret. Um, and that, and on a professional side, our my job kind of for the last twenty years has been to find really cool deals, kind of get in front of the path of project and. Um, get in front of the path of progress and share that with, you know, with, with our network. And I knew about the deals. I knew about the golden visa program in Portugal last year. And I was in Europe last year and checking it out. And uh, it took me a year to get that going. And in the meantime, prices in Portugal went up like 35%. So, uh, so I feel bad for, you know, people who follow me that I didn't get that out a year ago when that when that was a really good deal. It's still a great deal. You know, we my actually my daughter now works for the company that we met with when I was in Portugal. And she did a, her first webinar last night on how to get the golden visa, and, which basically means if you buy property in Portugal, then you, uh, you know, you, you get residency. And then after five years, you can apply for a passport and you're kind of grandfathered into that. And then you get uh, you know, access to healthcare, like almost free healthcare that's really, really world class and university for your kids. I mean, there's all these benefits for having an EU passport. And uh, anyway, she did this webinar last night. And what's so cool is when people, when, pe- when you offer something to people and it's exactly what they've been looking for and they didn't know how to find it. So we've, we've had people, I don't know if you know this, so this is a little bit off topic, but there's people who got moved to America because they're good at something, say technology or whatever, and they're, they're from another country, and they live in America for, say, 20 years, uh, but they never got a passport. Like, they're not American citizens. And then when they're done with, like, where do they go? They go back to home, which isn't home because they haven't been there for 20 years. So there's a lot of people in California who aren't Americans and and don't really have a country. And and so these people, like we had 30 people on the webinar last night who were thanking us, like, thank you. I didn't know I could get a passport, you know, and 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 basically with this program, you you, inv- you have to invest $280,000, but then you get that back in five years. So it's almost like free to become, a, you know, an EU citizen and get all those benefits. So anyway, a regret is that I just didn't jump on that faster either. And, and solve a lot of problems for people and help them make a bunch of money. But they still can do it. They can still do it now. We're, we're looking at areas that haven't popped yet, that haven't had that 35% growth yet. Well, having just come back from Portugal a few days ago, I might be your next might be your next customer there. It's so nice <laughs> there. It was lovely. Uh, Beautiful. Yeah, people are great. Beautiful country. Amazing food. Had a great time. But it's funny what you said about uh, refinancing. You know, I I was reviewing some of my goals for this this year, and one of the goals I wrote out at the beginning of the year was like buy as much real estate as I can for three percent, like three point five percent or under. And 
I didn't do that very well. Um, uh, like in, in terms of individual deals, I was mostly investing in, uh, or completely investing in syndications. And I was thinking to myself, like knowing what I know now about the market and having come down, do I still wish I bought more in Q1 of 2022? And I was like, yeah, I still wish I had locked in 3% interest rates, even knowing that in some markets, my price would have gone down on paper for five or 10% or whatever it might wind up being. That was just such an incredible opportunity. And to your point, Kathy, we might never see that again in our lifetimes. Um, so I, I share that regret with you as well. Mm. All right. Well, thank you all for sharing this. I appreciate your, uh, your candor and honesty about some of the mistakes that you made this year. We are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with a question from the Bigger Pockets forums. Okay, so our question is about interest rates or specifically mortgage rates in 2023. Kenny Simpson wants to know where we think mortgage rates are going to go next year and if we could see specifically VA or FHA rates in the somewhere between 4 and 5% for conventional property at some point. I'm just he didn't say specifically, but let's just say at some point in 2023. Kathy, since you just hit on this, let's start with you. Well, we can all pray, right? We could do rain dances too. Uh, I don't think we're going to see 4%. I hope so. It would be wonderful. I don't see anyone predicting that. Um, could we get into the fives, maybe the mid or high fives? Yes, that's possible. Um, I, I hear a lot of experts saying that's probably where we'll land around, around I don't know, 5.7 or you know, six and a quarter, somewhere in there um, next year. So that's great. And that's great. Let, let, let me just really, really emphasize that. 5% is, would stabilize the market. It's probably exactly the rate that the market needs. Uh, we actually had pretty good homes, uh, new home sales this, this last um, update, you know, just this last month. Uh, it was kind of surprising how many people are still buying yeah. new homes crazy. At, at today's rate. So just imagine when when rates go down just a little, it's going to be a frenzy. And that's why I keep saying, that's why we started our single family rental fund, because I think we've got this six month window. And man, when they get to, when rates go down to what, you know, again, if, if the if if the Fed is trying to create a recession, which it, it's trying to do, that generally means rates are going to go down. So, you know, you just got to see that's how it works. And, and when that works, when that happens, people are going to dive back into real estate because 5% is good and normal and it's stable and it will be, it will be actually stable for the market. It's a good thing. Getting to 4%, you'd, if we get to 4%, it means we're in a really nasty recession. So maybe we shouldn't be hoping for that. That's a good point. Uh, I, I agree. Like my, my, forgive me, my brain just, it just works simpler sometimes. And I feel like in, in 2020, we were, the ship was staring down the ocean and then we were like, oh, there's a giant iceberg called COVID. And so the Fed turned the levers that it had this way. And so everything went this way and we were like, oh crap, now we're, we're way off course. And so they're cranking it back this way and things are correcting and we're going to land right back on a course that we were on in around 2019. We're just getting back to where things were. Values of homes are coming back down to those rates that they were around then in some markets. And uh, interest rates, I feel like, will probably land right around where they were. And about that time, I was buying property on between five and six and a quarter, six and three quarters percent interest. That's just that's that's what things were. And 
I feel like that's probably where we'll end. Yeah, I don't think no chance we're down in the fours by the, by the end of the year. Um, I I think best case scenario we're going to be mid high fives by the end of the year, which is to, like Kathy said, which is great. It's it, you can work on you, and I actually, you know, I really don't care what the rates are to be perfectly. <laughs> I just want them to be stable. Right. Like it, that's where you get in trouble. Like. All right, rates are ten percent or ten percent. I can adjust my math at that point. That's just what you've got to deal with. Rates are four percent. Adjust the math. Just stability is what I'm looking for. I'm burnt out on the appreciation growth that we saw for two years. What like what was that? That was nuts, right? Like we've never seen housing increase like this. We've never seen the returns we made. It also is not a healthy way to invest. You're just buying stuff and guessing and like getting you you know you're you're becoming undisciplined like. Henry says, and then it just goes up and then you make a bunch of money and you look good. And so like stability is a good thing. And I do think that rates will get stable. Like in about six months, we're going to start to really see the stability of it. But by the time we get stable, I think we're going to be low sixes, um, best case high fives. And then we, we're going to probably be there for a year or two kind of in that kind of uh, realm. And again, that is OK. That that's then you can do mass. Then it comes to it all comes down to the plan. Does the math check out because you can put the right plan in play? And then what are you going to do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I agree with all of you. I think that uh, the most likely scenarios we'll see rates about a year from now, end of end of 2023, probably in the low sixes is probably my best guess. Um, if you just look at what happens in a recession, to Kathy's point, bond yields fall. That brings down mortgage rates. Um, we saw that. Um, that's already happened. Like rates were up in the sevens. Now they're consistently about 6.6 already. Um, and inflation hasn't even started to come down, uh, in a significant way yet. So I, I think, uh, that's a good thing to your point. If we can get to a, a stable area somewhere between five and six and a half, I think that provides a really good backstop for home prices in the U S and hopefully sets a good foundation for further, more predictable growth to your point, James, in the near future. So let's hope, but man, to your point, Kathy, if they get in the forest, something's gone terribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jerome Powell will not have a job if the, uh, if uh, mortgage rates are in the forest. <laughs> How does he still have a job? <laughs> I mean, come on. Anyway. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. And if you join us, this episode is going to come out on a Monday, I think. And if you join us on Friday, we're going to do the inverse of this show. So we talked about our regrets for 2022. And on uh, next week, we're going to go to 2023 and talk about what our goals are for the coming year. So definitely tune in for that. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like this show, uh, hopefully you don't regret becoming a subscriber of this show in 2022. And if you didn't, make sure to give us a five-star review on either Spotify or Apple. And we'll see you on Friday for our goal show for 2023. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. And a big thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies.
Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire Bigger Pockets community, and there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as 3.5% down and own up to four units. So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units, but in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short-term rental or a medium-term rental. And all this, what I'm describing here, is just one transaction. But of course, the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it? Optimize it. Keep scaling and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're going to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.